Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tax Security Podcast. To listen to more episodes and to view the show notes for each episode, go to www.cisco.com slash go slash tax security podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number seven of the Tax Security Podcast, where our panel of experts discuss all things Cisco security, including configuration, troubleshooting, new features, and hot issues being seen by the Cisco Technical Assistance Security Teams. Today, we're going to talk about um, some of our personal computing choices that we use for our work in the TAC, and then we're going to talk about um, monitoring the performance of your firewall, and we'll, we'll discuss some tips about how to tell if your firewall might be experiencing a performance problem and what you can uh, do to further troubleshoot that. With me in the studio today, we have our same great panel of experts, and I'll start off by introducing Magnus Mortensen, who just got married. Yay! Hey. Congratulations, Magnus. Thank you, thank you. Uh, it was, everything went great, everything fell into place. It was perfect. It was picturesque. Excellent. And now you'll be married to the CCIE. Yep. That's, who did you marry? Uh, oh. <laughs> oh, gotta remember the name. Oh, is it the uh, same girl as last time? Or? Yes, okay. same one. Same. Well, that's good. Yes, the same one. <laughs> Next up, we got Blaine Dreyer, and he just had a birthday. How old are you, Blaine? I am 40, no, 28. Oh, all right. 28. Did you get any good presents? Yes, it was very nice. I took the week off, and uh, I bought myself a road bike, and I got a golf driver, so that was cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. And uh, finally, we have David White, Jr. And uh, David, you were at the Outer Banks. I, I can tell by your suntan. Yes, last weekend, uh, we went and wife, kid, and I went to the Outer Banks in Nags Head area and uh, explored North Carolina's Outer Banks. It was pretty nice. Got to rent a Jeep and drove it on the beaches and stuff, so that was a lot of fun. Right. Aren't there Down horses the or something? Yes, there, there's uh, up at the north end of the Outer Banks, there's uh, wild horses that roam around on that the beach, and they're right out by the water's edge. You know, Corolla, cool. right, that area? Yeah, yeah. Corolla. Mm -hmm. Last time I was cool. at the Outer Banks, I fell asleep with my hand over my chest, and I had a handprint sunburn <laughs> for like six months. So that was my last experience with the Outer Banks. I don't know. All right, well, let's first start off by talking about some of our personal computing choices. So um, in the TAC, we have a lot of freedom to use different types of um, PCs, different operating systems, different uh, tools to help us be successful as TAC engineers. So today we're just going to spend a, a, some, brief, um, some brief time talking about some of the tools and the software that we like to use every day. So um, Magnus, I'm going to start with you. You recently switched from a, using a PC. You were like a PC guy, and now you're using a Mac. So what do you think? Um, I, I like it. You know, I've had a rather happy experience. I mean, there are some learning curves here and there because as tech engineers, we always want to break things down, rebuild them, try things that aren't really supported sometimes. Um, so there were some growing pains, some things didn't work, but you know, that's part of the enjoyment of it. I switched because I wanted a challenge. So you can do everything you could do with Windows before okay with the Mac. Would you say it's a better experience or? Depends on what you're looking for. I mean, I was tinkering with Linux for a while and moving to Mac is a little bit you know, has that, I think it's a Debian backend that it runs, so, you know, it's very much a, a Linux interface, plus you can always use the GUI side of things if you don't feel like dealing with command line, but I found it uh, pretty enjoyable so Okay. Far. Well, personally, I use, um, I use a Mac laptop, but I have a Linux server set up, so what I like to do with that is it has multiple network cards, um, and I sort of use it as a jumping off point, so I'll SSH or, or whatever into my Linux box and then from there access my multiple lab devices. And one thing I, 
I like to do and that I found very useful is I have a VNC server set up so that um, and it has multiple screens on it so I can easily flip back and forth between screens and on each screen I have access to lab devices so on one screen I'll have some you know firewall service modules and then on another screen I'll have ASA so I can quickly and easily jump in if I'm on a call with a customer and we're discussing a, a certain command or something we can just quickly take a look at that and Dave you're a Windows user well kind of so Yes, I, I use uh, multiple platforms. Oh, and actually, you know, you mentioned that today we're allowed to, uh, you know, really have a lot of freedom in what we use. But I remember back when I started in the tech, um, you were given a, a Sun, an Ultra Spark. I think it was an Ultra Five, and uh, nice. you know that's what everyone had, and that was it. That was your only, that was your only choice. So that's what you know I got used to and learned on. And so yes, now I have a, a Windows desktop, um, a Mac laptop, and I still use my. It's now a different. Uh, uh, a different Spark, but I still use that um, all the time. So actually, I use all three. But my main desktop is uh, a Windows box, and the reason for that is because uh, from my Windows box, I can SSH in and have multiple sessions go into the Spark, you know, the different Sun servers. Um, and then for my Mac laptop, I use that as a laptop and take it everywhere I go, and then can also remote desktop into the Windows box. Whereas if I had the Mac desktop, um, you don't really have the same remote. Uh, desktop capabilities. You can use VNC, but it's not it's not nearly as nice as RDB. That's true. Windows. And you're notorious for getting really grumpy if you have to reboot your, uh, your <laughs> desktop. This is true. I, I rarely reboot. <laughs> All right. How about you, Blaine? So my primary computer is a is a Mac laptop, just like everyone here, and uh, I like that a lot. It's been an easy transition, just like Magnus. You know. I've, what I found to be the benefit there is that it's a beautiful uh, interface and it's got all the core functions that you need to do your job. So mm -hmm. it really is a good asset to what we do. I've also got a Linux server in the lab where I run web services and then on the IDS team we have a lot of Windows-based servers and applications. So I have a Windows server sitting at my desk as well. Okay, so let's quickly talk about some of the tools that we use. Um, personally, I like to use a lot of open source tools just because they're very easy, I guess, to install with package management on OSX and also on Linux uh, and Windows as well. Um, you know, I'll just name some of these off that, you know, we use TCP dump, um, in particular TCP replay and TCP rewrite for... Um, yeah, uh, I use those a lot, uh, primarily for like uh, packet replays whenever we have to capture something for a customer. Yeah, um, so we have problems where uh, the customer says that, you know, something is going wrong with the transmission and we have to take a packet capture from their network and replay mm -hmm. it in ours, right? So yeah. in order to do that, we've got to rewrite IPs, Macs, whatever we need to do. So TCP replay and rewrite are really good tools. And also for just sending traffic, uh, Nmap is a good one for, you know, like a port scanner or something like that. Um, Netcat and HPing3 are nice because you can, you know, construct an arbitrary packet and then send it out and, you know, uh, see what happens. Um, in particular, let's talk about, so th those are prevalent tools on uh, uh, Linux and OSX, but let's talk about Windows-specific tools that I know a lot of our customers are sometimes use Windows exclusively. So what tools are out there for, for Windows users that you guys like to use? Well, number one for connecting the device is going to be PuTTY. Um, Telnet definitely has its deficiencies if you open yeah. up a command prompt. I mean, one of the major things is just the output. The, the lines wrap, and it's not as easy to log. So PuTTY is a great tool for doing um, all types of stuff with SSH or Telnet or uh, console logins, et cetera. Actually, I'm, I'm not really a fan of PuTTY. I actually like Secure CRT only because in the original days, um, PuTTY, there was a lot of deficiencies in its logging capabilities as well as scripting capabilities and you know, being, being able to automatically log in and script. And it didn't originally have the tabs so you can launch multiple so sessions. So it has tabs now? I didn't know that. PuTTY? Yeah, yeah. I think the latest okay. version now has tabs. But previously it didn't where Secure CRT has had tabs for, for quite a number of years. So is now. that a free option as well? I believe so. Okay. So Secure CRT is free? No, no, no. Uh, 
I thought you were talking about tabs on putting. No, so oh. Cure CRT is a purchased option. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, around $99, I think. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, I see a lot of customers using Putty a lot using Secure CRT, but far and above uh, Telnet on the DOS window. Yeah, and we're always happy. Or Hyperterminal. Or yeah. Hyperterminal. We're always very happy when uh, we look on, if we're doing a WebEx uh, desktop sharing session with our customers and they have Putty sitting on the desktop. And so just uh, if you don't have that already, it's, uh, you can Google it. It's P-U-T-T-Y, and it's a great terminal, uh, terminal session client. For or Secure CRT. Or Secure CRT. CRT. There we go. Which is not free. Okay. Um, <laughs> And of course, on both platforms, uh, tools like Wireshark we use every single day, and that's indispensable. Um, Wireshark.com, I think, is where you can download it. But that's the, the later versions have great dissectors for different uh, protocols and, and lots of different plugins. So we, I don't know, I, I've used other packet uh, analyzers before, but really Wireshark is my favorite. Well, also Wireshark is open source and it's free. Yeah. yeah. Again, I think that's that's, that's a bigger driving point for at least a lot of the stuff that I use. You know, I've, it's got to be free. Yeah. I've worked with some of the more enterprise things. Uh, I think there's the OmniPeak products and stuff like that. Right. They're, they're very nice products, but for me, you know, I just like free things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Also, and it's accessible. You can download it from anywhere and you yeah. never have to worry about product keys or anything like that. So My yes, only problem with Wireshark is that often it redirects you when you're downloading it to a mirror that's really slow, which is <laughs> ironic since a lot of times you really need Wireshark quickly to troubleshoot a network. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> other, other tools we use in our OS is uh, VMware. We're using that a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. in the TAC especially, uh, we've got to set up an infrastructure so you can just spin up VMs and tear them down and, and that's really handy for just creating uh, you know, clients or servers or whatever you need on the fly. Yeah, on the same token of being free, we run an ESXi server in the lab, actually many of them, mm -hmm. and uh, that's completely free. So you download a tiny little kernel and then you can build all your VMs. So we'll include some notes about the different software uh, tools that we like to use in the show notes and uh, you know, take a look at some of those, uh, we recommend them definitely. Um, and maybe that'll help you out in your uh, network administration. All right, so moving on, we're going to talk now about monitoring firewall performance. So um, a lot of times it's a gray area or it's a misunderstood um, area about how to monitor your firewall's performance in that, you know, how well is it performing in, you know, as a firewall, how are you seeing errors on the interfaces? Are you seeing packet drops on the firewall? What's actually going on? And is there a problem on the firewall? You may not even know. You may be experiencing network uh, slowdowns or connectivity problems, and a lot of people point to the firewall as the first uh, culprit, but it's a good idea to understand how to check different settings on the firewall, check different uh, statistics and counters to understand what might be going on. So the first thing, and a lot of our customers gravitate towards this, and we'll, we'll touch on it now. So CPU usage. So on the ASA platforms, uh, it's important to know that all the packets are processed in the main CPU. So when a packet comes into the firewall, um, it's processed uh, on that main CPU, in some cases by one of the cores in a multiprocessor system like the 5580, and then uh, you know, sent out the firewall's egress interface. Um, and as far as you know, what is, what, when do we consider the CPU on the box too high? I think the general rule of thumb is, you know, if you're, you should monitor your firewall, you know, for um, the CPU usage, so you have a good baseline. Um, if you're constantly getting above 50% on the baseline, that's when we would suggest you consider upgrading to a larger size firewall. No, the firewall is not going to be dropping packets at that point. It won't drop packets until the CPU is at, you know, around 100%. But, you know, at 50%, it's still, you know, letting you know that, uh, you know, you have ample room for um, network spikes. Um, as well as it takes usually time to procure new firewalls and get them installed, tested, whatever it is you need to do, and during that time your traffic utilization could grow more. Um, once you start getting into the 80% range, that's when you, you really want to fast track that and get that 
you know, firewall upgraded. And, and the 90% range, that's really what I would consider a danger zone because, again, you're looking at the, the output of the CPU, which is really an average over time. So you're not seeing the highest point during that duration. You're seeing an average. So with a 90% average, you know, it's almost certain that you're hitting uh, periods where the CPU is at 100%, in which case you're probably dropping traffic at that point. Right, because, you know, we're, we're switching them in software on the main CPU. Yeah. And you brought up a good point, is that the baseline. I mean, yeah. we have customers call up and say, um, well, my CPU is high, and then we say, well, how high is high? You know, what, what was it yesterday when you didn't have this problem? And a lot of times we can't get a good, clear answer on that. So I think the, the process of baselining your, your, um, your firewall is important. Okay, so how do you monitor the, the CPU usage on a firewall? Well, if you're troubleshooting a problem or you're in the CLI and you want to take a look, you can do a show CPU usage. If you want to look at it over time in order to see spikes or you know what your average usage is um, over an extended period of time during the day, you can look at a graph in ASTM. There's a very pretty graph in there. So if you want to look at statistical data and kind of do with it what you will, you can also pull via SNMP. All that information is available. Yeah, and one uh, really nice freeware tool is um, MRTG that you can use to pull all different OIDs. Um, and it'll give you a nice generated web page that shows you a graph of all different stats. You know, any OID you can do, and one of those could be CPU usage. So I know a lot of customers use that, and that's a, that's a great way of monitoring. So it's MRTG, is that MRTG. right? MRTG. And yeah. what, what does it run on? Just it runs on just about anything. Okay, so it's yeah. a, I think it's a collection of scripts, isn't it? Yeah, like, I think Perl scripts. Yeah, primarily. Of, right. But we see a lot of customers running that. But you know, we we'll, we'll have the customer from time to time, and they'll come in. We will see some high CPU, and it may be anomalous. You know, the cases out of nowhere, they now have 80% CPU. We're talking about that whole baseline. You know, yesterday it may have been 20%. Today it's 80%. They want to know why. Um, one of the nice features that we've kind of added to some of the newer builds of code is the show proc CPU usage. And what that'll actually give you versus the show CPU usage um, is it'll give you the kind of breakdown you would get from something like uh, on Linux, the top command or uh, task manager in Windows. It'll show you, you know, a, a breakdown of the different functions, what's occupying most of the CPU. And if it's something obvious like the logger process or something like that, you can say, oh, you know, it's probably my syslogging. Maybe I can change some things and take care of the problem on your own. Right, so that was added, as you mentioned, in recent builds, so 724.11, uh, 804.5. Um, so it's essentially uh, um, some of the latest interim releases, but it'll be in 805, which will be out any day now. Um, but prior to that, if you don't have this uh, feature in your version, then the other way of doing it is you need to do a show, uh, show proc, and then you wait about 60 seconds, do another show proc, and then you do a manual diff of the run times between those, and that can really be a pain. So yeah, it's clunky. In, in those cases, you know, just call an attack and, and let them do some analysis because there's some additional fine granularity that we can do. We can do CPU profiling on the box and get, you know, the nitty-gritty details to see what's what's really eating the CPU up. So um, also on our multi-core firewalls, which for example we have a 5580 um, multi-core box, the show CPU usage command is going to give you the aggregate. CPU usage of all the processors and all the cores, where and sometimes if you're troubleshooting high CPU issues, you really want to see um, does any single core have a lot of the CPU. In that case, you can do a show CPU usage detailed or show CPU usage core, and that'll show you the individual cores CPU utilization. So that way you can you know drill down into in each individual core to see how much. Uh, CPU usage is being used by the for the most part though those cores are all sharing the load right so most of the time we see them all with the same CPU usage right because each one will handle a certain number of connections or most of the time but it does depend on the interface types and interface placements and traffic profile as to you know you could have an affinity towards a specific core 
and in those cases there's things that we can do to change the load balancing algorithms or whatever so that you have better distribution across the cores. So if you saw one core running at much higher CPU than another, good idea to call TAC and get us to take a look. Right. Okay. All right. Well, next let's talk about the firewall service module. So the firewall service module obviously has quite a different architecture than the ASA. Some of those packets are processed in hardware, so um, the show CPU output is going to mean something different on the firewall service module. In the case of the firewall service module, um, since it is primarily a hardware-based architecture, um, the output of show CPU, uh, what that's really going to give you is the control point. Um, and that's only there for certain specific functions like inspection and stuff like uh, the actual SSH session you're making to the box for management, etc. 90% of the traffic is handled down in hardware, and we're not going to see that kind of information in a show CPU. So, you know, you may have your CPU spiked at 100% for whatever reason, but normal traffic is still flowing down in hardware and may be uninterrupted despite the CPU. Right. One thing we should point out is that uh, on the firewall service module, you will see the CPU at 99% when you're recompiling ACL, and yeah. that's normal. Yeah. It's expected. That's what it's supposed to do. It will yield enough so that it doesn't impact traffic flowing through it, but all available unused cycles are really going to compile the, the um, ACL as fast as possible to make that change and push it down into the hardware. So there's also um, a command we have that's called um, showcon, and then on the FWSM, in addition to showcon, there's also show uh, PCCon, and showcon will list the number of connections through the box, um, as well as showcon count will tell you, you know, the, the total number of connections, where showcon shows you all the connections, and on the control point side that Magnus was just talking about, there's also show PCCon and show PCCon count, which shows you those connections that are going through the PC as opposed to staying in hardware, which is what a showcon and showcon count would do. Essentially, the connections that are going to be affected and will affect the CPU. That's usage. correct. So an example would be uh, DNS inspection. So DNS pack, we see this a lot in the TAC. Um, if there's a flood of DNS traffic or a malicious DNS activity through the firewall, those packets are not handled in hardware. They're punted up to the main control point of the firewall service module. So you would see that activity reflected in uh, show, uh, show CPU usage. And you would see those connections on show PC con. So it was one of the first uh, FWSM cases I took in the in attack, it was a high CPU case, and I remember that I didn't know about the show PCCon command, and actually you showed it to me, Dave, I remember. And that was, oh, it was obvious. There's 10,000, you know, some number of highly irregular DNS connections, and that was obviously what was causing the CPU. Um, another thing that you can take a look at that, uh, you know, the CPU will also do a lot of inspection, uh, you can look at the output of show service policy, for example, and you can see a, I believe it will give you packet counts as to how much traffic is actually being processed by the CPU for different inspections, uh, you know, like your different voice inspections that have to be punted up to the CPU, uh, et cetera. And that'll also give you a good image of kind of roughly how much traffic your FWSM is processing, at least on the CPU. Right. Another way is um, you can do show dispatch table and show dispatch statistics and give it a number where that number comes from the show dispatch table, and it'll show you about all the different inspections. So you had to use those commands prior to uh, 3.1 where show service policy got implemented. Um, one of the last uh, things that will use up functions that will use up CPU on your uh, FWSM are routing protocols. So just um, by enabling uh, a routing protocol like OSPF, sometimes we'll see the CPU jump by 10 or 20 percent, and that's normal. And um, it's not completely accurate. That that uh, CPU usage will yield very regularly. So even though the CPU usage on the firewall service module went up um, by 10 or 20 percent, it's not going to affect. Uh, traffic through the main control point. But you will see um, the CPU usage go up, and that's normal because those routing protocols are actually running in software on the main CPU of the firewall. 
So next, let's talk about memory. We've talked about CPU usage. Memory is another one uh, that our customers are looking at in the TAC we, um, we investigate as well. So on the ASA, obviously, um, we have different models have different sizes of memory, but it's something important that you want to graph and baseline because those connections and X-lates and IPsec SAs all use memory, main memory from the firewall. Right, and if you're in the command line, you just want to check the memory real quick, you can just do a show memory, and that'll show you free and used, and that's going to vary widely with how many features you have enabled on the box. Yeah, as well as um, what version you're running. So the, the newer the train, um, so uh, or major release, so you go from 7.0 to 7.1, 7.2, 8.0, those are going to use up more memory just to boot because of the additional uh, features and, and memory allocated to them in the binary image size. But you can also do a show mem detail, and that's going to give you a better or better um, representation of how the memory is broken up um, to different functions that it's given to, whether it's be the VPN functions like the DMA um, and the shared pool, um, as well as how the memory is fragmented and uh, what fragment size is being used the most and, and who's allocating that. And when you, If you're running out of memory or getting low on memory um, and you need to troubleshoot that, I think ideally just calling into the TAC and, and getting them to help you um, would be the best because we can go ahead and look at you know, what functions are allocating that memory um, and we can decode those back um, also to the block size that the memory is being used and allocated by and determine you know, is this normal or is there some other problem going on there. And again, it's good to have a baseline so you know, okay, Absolutely. you know, every month I check and I'm using this many gigs or this many megs of memory and now I'm, you know, using up much more or it's creeping up, right? The amount of memory used on my active firewall is growing by one megabyte per day. We need to investigate that to see what might be the cost. Right, and again, the, you know, monitoring the memory via an SNMP or via ASDM is a, is a great way of doing that. Additionally, with ASDM, um, if that's enabled, then the ASDM history is also going to be enabled on, on the CLI. And, Users can go and they can do show ASDM history feature uh, memory, and that'll output uh, the current free and total use memory over the last um, so many days of time period, and it's broken down into 10 seconds and like 120 seconds, and you know a couple of days. So you can go back several days and see what the memory was by doing that, and that's where uh, ASDM gets its information from as well. And if you're gonna gonna submit a TAC case on what you believe to be a memory leak or maybe too many features enabled, I'd say a show tech would probably be the best. That way you can look at version config, memory usage. Right, show tech as well as show mem detailed um, because the show tech only has the, the show mem output in it. But yeah, absolutely. And, and usually when we get that show tech, you know, there's some certain configurations that we're looking for that are kind of notoriously, you know, heavy on the memory. Um, one of the ones that uh, we see, well, starting in 8.0 code with uh, this threat detection functionality is if you've got the different threat detection statistics turned on, those will consume a large amount of memory just because it has to store and analyze a lot of information about connections going through the box. Uh, another... Right, and we've improved on that. So uh, the latest versions um, and all the trains have, um, ha have reduced memory footprints for threat detection, but it still is a, a large consumer of memory, though. We've, we've seen a, a pretty big handful of cases on those. Uh, also, some of the more advanced features like uh, WebVPN, um, those do also take up some significant amounts of memory. And uh, what we see a lot of is uh, when ACL, when customers are using ACLs and they use a lot of object groups and it's one large object group times another large object group times another, mm -hmm. yep. um, you know, and then they make one small change to their ACL and now their ACL has grown exponentially. Uh, that tends to surprise people, and then their memory also grows as a result because you know if you're doing threat detection uh, statistics with ACLs, that'll kick in there, or uh, you know just the ACL itself will take up an additional amount of memory. 
So it's a, it's a combination of things. Um, one more thing that I think we've seen a handful of times would be like VPN filters or downloadable ACLs for you know, remote access clients when they yep. connect in. Uh, you know, depending on how quickly people are connecting in, how many people are connecting, that's just more ACL information that has to be managed by the firewall. So yeah. say you're running out, I mean, or say you've checked with attack or you know, your account team and, and the, you're just using up you know, a lot of memory on your firewall. Um, what are your options as far as upgrading the memory on the firewall? Well, for the um, ASA 5510s, we do have a memory upgrade, and it is recommended um, for customers that want to run 8.2 on the 5510 that they do purchase that memory upgrade, um, and that'll increase the memory up to 512 megs on the on the 5510 platform. Um, on the other platforms, there's not currently a uh, memory upgrade available for them, but um, there most likely will be in the in the coming future. Okay. Well, that's that. That has to do with the ASAs. So now let's talk about the firewall service module and, and memory. Um, we don't see a lot of uh, out of memory situations as far as main memory on the firewall service module because uh, a lot, you know, most of the processing and information is stored down on those network processors and hardware. But we do see uh, we do see a fair number of cases where customers have exhausted um, the access list space that is provisioned on network processor 3. That's where the access lists work. And we do see uh, customers exhaust that access list space just by, most of the time, um, using sort of a non-optimal config for your access list with, you know, like Magna said, uh, nested object groups and that kind of thing. Right, so just uh, to recap to, you know, the, the features Magnus talked about that caused, you know, most of the high memory issues on the ASA platform, threat detection, ACLs, WebVPN, um, and VPN filters, right? The only one that applies to the FWSM is access list, and since its access lists aren't stored on the control plane and pushed down to hardware, again, you've eliminated all the main reasons why we see bad memory conditions on the ASA. And one other thing is that even though, you know, if the ASA runs out of memory, um, it, it should not crash. So you could have zero bytes of memory free. When the processes attempt to allocate memory, you'll get a, uh, a message in the syslog telling you that you know the malloc failed isn't able to allocate any additional memory, but the box shouldn't crash. So that doesn't mean that you don't need to immediately try to figure out what's consuming the memory and reduce it, but it's not you know an absolute crisis situation that you know you're at you know two percent free and the box could crash at any second. It, it shouldn't do that. Any any crash in that case would be considered a bug. And if you see your firewall running at uh, you know 99 100% CPU usage might be a good idea if you have a failover firewall to fail the firewall over so that the you know uh, standby firewall can then become active and uh, hopefully it, right if you're running out of memory yeah uh, with CPU you know it's better just to you know check real quick and try to determine what's uh, using up the CPU um, before doing that but yeah for memory sure absolutely and uh, mentioning the FWSM ACL space um, every time you make a change to the access list and it recompiles the ACL and pushes it down to MP3, you should get a message on the console indicating how much ACL space has been used. Um, and so you just want to keep an eye on that. If you want to, if that number starts to grow uh, to the point where it's getting uh, pretty high, you know, 60, 70, 80 percent, probably a good idea to run the command show MP3 ACL stats and show MP3 ACL count. And those will give you uh, some information about the size of the data structures there on MP3. And um, you can uh, open a TAC case to understand exactly what you could do um, to help mitigate that problem. So the next thing that we'll talk about is uh, checking interface counters on, on the physical interfaces and virtual interfaces of the firewalls. And that's very low level. Uh, problems there uh, are indicated there are due to um, traffic streams that are coming from other devices that maybe are not um, properly ordered, that fail CRC checks, et cetera, et cetera. So to check those two types of things, you can look at two different outputs on the, uh, on the firewalls. 
On the ASA, you can do a show interface, which is basically just like any other um, iOS device. You can look at buffers, uh, uh, buffer drops, underruns, overruns, collisions, all that kind of stuff. Um, on the ASA, you can also do a show traffic, which shows all physical and virtual interface counters on the uh, ASA, virtual for the 5505, which supports VLANs. And there you can see uh, receive and transmit drops. And in addition, you can look at a show ASP drops, which will show um, interface drops, uh, excuse me, policy drops for um, individual inspections that are configured on the device. Right, and those commands are both valid on ASA and, uh, and the FWSM. Um, the, the thing about show traffic is it gives you uh, rates per second so that you can see what the traffic rate is um, in and out of the interface on a, on a per second basis in a packets, you know, both packets per second and bytes per second. Uh, basis there. And there's uh, there's one more thing you can also run the, on the FWSM that's similar as we're talking about hardware interfaces. It's the show NIC command, and uh, it's not necessarily showing you you know the chassis connection, you know the backplane connection to the uh, 6500 chassis, but what it shows is the communication between that control point as well uh, between the control point and the NP3. Uh, it'll actually give you two different outputs, one for gig zero and one for gig one. Um, port zero is data traffic that's being exchanged, like we were talking about those DNS inspected flows. You know, all that traffic counts in that one. Uh, port one is control traffic, uh, you know, different sorts of uh, information going between the network processors. Right, and so that, that's really the demark point, you know, that show Nick between what traffic that gets punted out of hardware and into software, it's gonna, it's gonna show up in that show Nick, you know, going up into the the control plane there and into the central CPU to be processed. Um, there's also a command to look at the, the utilization of the hardware NPs. Um, it's called show NP blocks and in that output you'll see all three NPs, NP1 and 2 which are in the fast path and NP3 which is the slow path and it'll give you a couple of thresholds there. So threshold 0, 1 and 2 and when those thresholds um, get reached the a counter increments. So you'll hit threshold 2 first um, that's just kind of more like a warning letting you know that you know, the NPs are, you know, one of those NPs is getting close to its limits of subscription. Um, and then once you start getting threshold uh, counters increment on MP or on threshold one, that lets you know that that MP is getting really close and you have the potential of dropping um, transient or data packets. Um, once threshold zero starts incrementing, that lets you know that, you know, you've oversubscribed the NP and not only could you be dropping transient data packets, but you could also be dropping control messages between um, the NPs as well as from the control point to the NP to let it know about control communication. So you really don't want to see those um, counters, any of those counters actually incrementing. If you are, then it's something that we need to look into to try to determine, you know, are they constantly incrementing? Was it a one-time deal? You know, is, am I sending too much traffic through for some specific reason or specific type of traffic? Is there too much going through this is causing a, a problem um, for the NPs to be able to process all that load? Okay. Next up, let's talk about uh, translations and connections because, you know, um, obviously that's the main work of these firewalls is, is handling translations and connections. Um, and there's, you know, platform limitations and some license limits exist. But really, uh, we're talking about wanting to be able to monitor those. So getting a baseline for the number of translations and the number of connections for your firewall, you're going to want to run uh, commands. We talked about these before, um, show con, C-O-N-N, or show con count. Those will tell you um, the current number of connections through the firewall and the max ever high watermark. So um, sometimes we'll have uh, P1 or P2 cases come in where the network is degraded through, say, an ASA. And uh, one of the first things we do is check the CPU usage, um, look at the number of connections, and if there's some really high number of connections that shouldn't be there, perhaps there's an inside host that's got a virus or it's doing something naughty and making way too many connections out to the internet. We see that, we see that um, 
not too uh, uncommonly, I guess. Yeah, and uh, with some of our platforms like the FWSM, there's that uh, roughly one million concurrent connections can be established, at least that's what it can handle. Um, and there are some other limitations, but uh, when you reach one of those kind of scenarios, you can always take a look and see what those kind of connections are, the uh, different interfaces, how long they've been up, et cetera, by doing show con detail. Uh, that'll give you a lot more information you know, about what the protocols are, the ports, uptime, uh, different timeouts, bytes transmitting, et cetera. Uh, let you kind of get a bit of better look at the detail of those individual connections. Right, and as Magnus mentioned, um, the FWSM does have a hardware limit as to number of connections. It's just shy of one million. Um, but the ASAs also have a software-imposed connection limit as well on each of those, and you can look at that product data sheet to see what that number is. The other option is you can do show resource usage, um, and that'll show you under the con section, it'll show you what the max is, and, and that'll be displayed there as well. So uh, if you're running into problems there, you know, you're getting high number of counts, you can look to see if you're hitting uh, that software-imposed limit or not. Another option besides the connections is there's also uh, XLATES or translations. Um, and you can look at the translations via show XLATE and again to see the translation counts, um, show XLATE count, and that'll just give you a numeric value of how many translations are going through the box. On the F2SM, we are limited to 256,000 of those, again, due to a hardware limit. And on the ASAs, um, there is no uh, software imposed limit to the translations. And if you're in charge of one of these firewalls, it might be just a good idea, you know, tomorrow when you get into work, load up ASDM, go to the monitoring uh, section of ASDM, and just, you can create a custom graph and attach uh, different, you know, data graphs to it. So add connections, XLATE, CPU usage, and memory, and just let those run um, all day. You can modify the, you know, uh, timer uh, values for those, and just watch during the day as the number of connections probably increases. CPU usage will probably go up as well as the translations, and then towards the end of the day when people start to leave, you'll, you'll probably see those go down. And get a good baseline for all, all four of those so that if you do have a problem, you can let us know what those numbers should be. And for those of you out there who like uh, SNMP type stuff, you know, like we were mentioning MRTG, um, another free one that's out there, Cacti, mm. has got a pretty good interface to it. Um, but you can always throw in all the different OIDs in there for, you know, uh, your different uh, CPU memory, connection count, x counts. Just keep an eye on everything. Just monitor. Um, and one other command we can talk about is the show environment command. This can give you uh, some pretty good information about the hardware of the, uh, of the, of the firewall. Well, the, actually, the show environment just displays um, things like uh, the power supplies, how well they're doing, the temperature of the CPUs and at various points in the chassis, um, fan speeds, things like that. So right now it's implemented on the 5580, but there's also plans to uh, backport some of that into the uh, 5510 through 5550 series lines as well. Okay. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Please send your topic suggestions and comments to securityshow at cisco.com. You can always open a TAC case at www.cisco.com slash TAC or by calling 1-800-553-2447. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of the TAC Security Podcast. To listen to more episodes and to view the show notes for each episode, go to www.cisco.com slash go slash TAC Security Podcast.